Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Five minutes past 12 o'clock, good afternoon, and how are you? This is the DR Link Show, where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination on 101.9 Kai FM. I'm Nikki Severini. Oh, isn't it a beautiful autumn afternoon? Driving here, clear skies, a bit of a breeze, but have you noticed how some of the leaves are changing color? Um, and there's a particular tree, I don't know what it's called, but I see um, a number of of these trees when I drive here and the leaves are bright yellow. This, oh, it's magnificent, this, this almost luminous yellow and just noticing this on the way um, here to the studios and I thought to myself, how often do we get to notice these things? I mean, do you notice? Are you so busy doing and running and thinking and doing and doing that life kind of passes you by? Are you noticing the small things? And it's not really just about noticing the small things. It's more about being present, being in the moment, not being lost in thought. Research tells us 47% of the time, I've mentioned it before, we are lost in thought. And the importance of being here, because when we're here, we can deal with this incredible present moment. It doesn't matter what the present moment brings us. I mean, when I introduce you to our cancer warrior today, boy, has he had to deal um, with so much. And, you know, we, we talk about the power of the mind often um, on this show. How often have we had cancer warriors and they talk about using their mind, using visualization as part of their treatment? How often have we spoken to oncologists? and doctors and they've spoken about warriors who really have the right mindset and what a great impact it does have on on their treatment so mind plays such an important role um, and as I said we really really have an incredibly inspirational um, cancer warrior who's going to be joining us a little bit later sharing his story um, of of you know how getting cancer at a young age and losing a limb at a young age was just a mind a setback you know it was just the next step to the next stage in his life and 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 we've had people before who who again have had that outlook and what is that outlook where does it come from well he's going to be telling us all about how he was able to right set his mindset and that is Musa Mota he'll be joining us in just a moment and before we do break um, I just want to mention that um, you voted um, for baby bum cream the Bennett's baby bum cream products naming them product of the year, right? Why don't you try Bennett's Baby Moisturizing Cream and Bennett's Hair and Body Wash? They're both available in Checkers stores. They are outstanding uh, uh, products. So go along to Checkers stores and see if you can get that Baby Moisturizing Cream and the Bennett's Hair and Body Wash. And also Bennett's would like to wish all their Jewish customers a Pesach Kasher Vesameach and all their Gentile customers a Happy Easter. And of course, Easter, you know, it's upon us. Pesach is upon us. This is such a wonderful, wonderful time. What are you going to be doing besides eating and if you're going to shul or church and spending time with your family, what else are you going to be doing? Are you going to be distracted um, or are you going to be present and in the moment? And I keep talking about that because when um, I'm not on air, um, I, I do a lot of mind work with people looking at mindfulness and um, 
I call myself a mind freedom fighter. I'm helping people clear their minds of the thoughts that can create false realities. Um, and that's why I love interacting with the kind of warriors that we do, the people that we have on the show who are using um, these tools all the time in order to change your life. It's about adapting, transforming your mental habits. Anyway, I'm having a, a mind revolution workshop where we look at all of this mindfulness and the mind on Saturday the 4th of May. And I'm going to be giving a lucky listener um, a ticket um, valued at 480 rand, um, a ticket to the workshop. So if you're interested um, and you'd like to take part in the Mind Revolution workshop, keep listening because near the end of the show, I'm going to be giving one ticket away. Let's take a break. And after the break, I am going to be introducing you to our extraordinary warrior. Stay with us. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Thank you so much for staying with us um, on the DL Link Show, where we connect you through insights and information and illumination. Certainly an illuminating story. Our cancer warrior today um, is an osteogenic sarcoma cancer warrior. He's 23 years old. His name is Musa Solsink Mota. I love that, Musa. I love the Soul Sync. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Oh, fabulous having you on the show. Oh, thank you. I'm so blessed to be here. Oh, it's fabulous. Fabulous to have you here. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, wow, what a story you have. Um, just, I mean, you are this magnificent, magnificent dancer. And I'm looking at you and you are this magnificent young man. And then you stand up and you're still a magnificent young dancer and a young man. But minus a leg. And that hasn't stopped you in any way. In, you know, it's, it's just incredibly, incredibly inspirational. So for our listeners, let's go back in time. Let's go back to, I believe you were in grade four. Yes, I was in grade just four. Just prior to that soccer match when you got kicked in the knee. Okay. Tell us about that, Musa. Tell us about that young boy playing soccer. Who were you? What were your expectations? What did you love doing? Okay, I'll start um, greeting the listeners. And um, okay, the story starts where uh, I was playing soccer. Um, I was good at soccer, and there was this day where we were having um, tournaments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was playing for Ajax Academy, and then so you were very good if you were playing with Ajax Academy. But okay, carry yeah. on. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. So um, it um, I was playing the wing. Uh, position eight. So, yeah, so I was, I had the ball on my legs and then this guy, you know, he came with the force and then he kicked my knee, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, at that present moment, it wasn't that sore. Um, it was just, you know, a, a shift or a twist somewhere on my muscles. But then, yeah, they took me out and then, I, yeah, the next day, uh, I was okay. I was playing soccer again. I was going to training. But then after four or five days, uh, my knees started to um, go on pains each and every um, each and every night or at midnight, uh, right after 2 a.m., you know. I'd wake my mom and then tell her that the pain is came. Sure. Know? And then, yeah, there was this day, okay, the pain took like um, three to four months. And then there was this day he, she couldn't take it anymore. She mm-hmm. called an ambulance and then um, we went to Sibokeng Hospital. Mm-hmm. And then they admitted me there. It was at night. And then, um, it was around September. And then at that hospital, um, they called like 10 to 12 doctors 
they were changing, you know, coming in, going out, testing me, you know, holding me. Um, did they X-ray you? Yes, that's they the first thing they did. Right, yeah. Yes. So yeah, they were they were uh, busy looking at the results. So um, they didn't find anything. I slept at the hospital for like six months, and then you uh, stayed. Yes. You stayed in the hospital for six months. For six months. It's in pain. Your knee was in pain, and they didn't know what it was. They didn't know, sure. and it was like a severe pain. Right. So they sent me to um, Barakwanet mm-hmm. uh, for it was for 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 CT scan. Yes, they sent me to Barakwanet for the first time for a CT scan. And then when then they we the, when when I came back, they still didn't find anything. And then after that, um, the second time they sent me to Johannesburg Hospital, um, they did the biopsy. After that, uh, that's where they told my mom that um, I need to go to uh, Ward 43 at Paragonet. Okay, we didn't know what is happening in there. Mm. It was at night. Mm. I remember it was around 10 p.m. Right. And then when we arrived there, um, the sisters, the nurses there, they told my mom she can sleep over so that they can wait for the doctor uh, to come in the morning. What was going through your mind? I mean, what did your mother say to you? Go to Ward 43 and you've got to wait wait for the next day to find <laughs> out what was happening. We were actually co-working in this situation. Yeah. So I was in that moment whereby I, I needed help. Anything that comes, I go with it. Okay. You know. So it was that moment that when they sent me to Ward 43, I was like, okay, so this is where I'm going to find help. You know, okay. and then when we got there, um, there's this feeling that made me um, kind of feel like I'm going to, I'm, I'm home. You know, I don't know. It was it was a weird feeling, but I was like, okay, I'm home now because I saw other kids were there, and then I saw the other one with crutches. Uh, I was like, okay, so this is the home of kids. Okay, okay now I can relax. Now you know? I can relax. After then, six months. After six. It sure. was like, yeah, after six months. Yeah. Sure, right. So after that, uh, in the morning, um, they called Dr. Linda, and then she came and she explained to my mom that, okay, this, um, there's a disease called cancer, and this is what it does to a kid, you know. So your kid might actually lose his life or he might survive. Oh, your mother must have been horrified. <laughs> she was hey? even crying. Oh. So, yeah, I don't remember what happened that day, but then they were talking to her. And then, um, yeah, that's when they admitted me, you know, everything. And so what did they say to you? I mean, so they told your mother you had cancer. Yes. And they've explained to her that, I mean, you, all sorts of things could happen. But what, how old were you? Nine or? Yeah, I was like nine, grade ten, nine, ten. Eleven. So, so, so how, how did they explain that to, to such a young boy who'd been waiting all this <laughs> yeah. time in agony, not knowing? Uh, okay. Um, I always tell my mom when she asked me that question, then how was I feeling or what was going through my mind when yeah. they told me that I had cancer? I told her that, um, first of all, I was, I was lucky enough not to know what is cancer. When they told me that what is cancer, I was already armed up that, you know, whatever that comes, I'm going to go with the force. You know, nothing's going to stop me from healing. So I didn't You're know. Gonna go, did you say I'm going to go with the force? Yes. Okay, I'm going to go with the force. I'm, I'm just, I'm force. picking up all these incredible words <laughs> that you're using. Okay. 
Yes, so I, I was in that. You're gonna s- heal. <laughs> love it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd say that I wasn't that scared to an extent that um, when every time I was, I was, you know, experiencing the bad moments uh, with chemo, I was, I was in that uh, moment whereby I'm like, okay, this is just a stage whereby I need to be strong and step up. You know, it wasn't easy, but then, um, you know, with other kids, we motivate each other, and then. Um, with again the motivation from doctors that you know you need to you need to be strong you you, you still have maybe four more or five more chemos to come and then you finish mm-hmm. you know we're like okay i need to be strong <laughs> here's the finish line yes. i can do it or maybe when you finish this trip we can oh. go home you know those things like they really uplift us right and yeah that's where um yeah i got to meet up like beautiful souls like dr Gita, dr linda dr diane you know and yeah, I, I'd say that with them by your side, you you'll never lose it. Oh. Yeah, mm. you'll never lose it. You know, um, as a kid, you know that when you have a strict parent, you know that you have the right person next to you. So at some point, you know that you want you cry, you cry like you cry and beg your doctor like, please, doctor, can I go home like this weekend for a pass out? Maybe it's like no. <laughs> <laughs> no, not week this weekend. Maybe next week. You know what I mean. Uh, so those were the moments. And uh, again, you know, I started to to take this serious when I lost my two friends. So the other one has leukemia, and the other one has the same cancer as as mine. That's bone marrow, but it spread the whole body. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when I first the lo- when I first lost the first one, it is kind of tough. Yeah, I really that I was the next one because we were at the same stage both of us you mm-hmm, know mm-hmm. and uh, we came at the same time you know one of those and then the second one was that the first time you realized that this that this is something that could kill you that you could die from yes. this that was the first time that was the first and you had time. to you know from being so strong to face that and to 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 see that loss must have been very tough Musa. hey yeah it was very tough uh, and the next one Okay, the next one, um, his name is Katleho. Was Katleho? Katleho, yes. Yes. Yo, okay. We were close, close, close. And like to an extent whereby when we, we were at home, both of us, we'd, we'd, visit, we'd visit each other. You know, that was that. That was how close we were. And then when I heard that there's nothing they can do now, and they're taking him off the tree, the trips, and then he was like supposed to go to hospice. I told my mind that okay, this is this is a time whereby I need to be strong for myself, hmm. you know. Yeah. And yeah, the day he passed out, I felt it like I didn't sleep. And in in the morning, I saw his family walking in. I'm like, okay, so that's that's one of those days, you know. Mm. And then my mom was crying, and then I was like, no, mom, I'm not the next one, but I'm 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 going to witness what was happening here. I'm I'm going to be strong for you and for for us for me you know what I mean. Hmm. Musa, we're going to take a break. I just want to I just want to say that all the people who are listening right now, thank you for going to a place that I think is quite difficult to go to to visit, but to express it and share it with us, we feel it with you and we appreciate it. Thank you. We're going to take a break and we want to hear more about your story after the break. Okay. Hi FM, one hundred and one point nine megahertz of life. 
You're listening to the DL Link Show on 101.9 High FM. I'm Nikki Severini. And just, you know, overwhelmed by um, our cancer warrior who is uh, in the studio today, um, Musa Mota, um, 23 years old. He is a cancer warrior, an osteogenic sarcoma cancer warrior, um, and a professional dancer. Um, and just before the break, Musa was sharing his story, um, talking about in grade um, four, um, being diagnosed with this cancer. Um, and, and just, you know, the incredible mind. I, I love Musa that you talk about moment in the moment. You keep going to moment, um, and I, I actually started off the show talking about you know are you noticing the moments around you? Okay. Um, we so lost in thought, the past and the present, and you know the fact that you keep talking about in that moment because I'm sure with your experience, when you go too much into the future, well any of us we just don't know. You know you can go into the past. It's, it, we can only deal with this moment right now. So I love that. And I love that you're talking about going with the force um, and having such an incredibly strong mindset. But, of course, losing your two friends, um, yeah, that must have been incredibly tough. How yeah. did you, Musa, how did you, you said you wanted to be strong. You said to your mother, I'm going to survive this. Where, where do you think that strength comes from? Ooh. Okay, that one, honestly, I don't know, but I think it's the belief that I had from God, you know. So uh, you're religious? You're, you're religious, Musa? Yes, okay. I am. Okay. So, yeah, I guess it's my belief and being strong and, and you know, I had that drive that I, I really wanted to um, to be better, to beat this cancer, you know, because you know, it can really knock you down. Like you can be at your lowest, lowest level mm. that you, you, you actually lose hope. Yeah. yeah. And what, what did you do when you were in that lowest level? How did you get out of it? Ooh. I mean, you talk about the doctors around you. You talk yes. about being in a ward with young people who are on a similar journey. You, you spoke about your mother, um, the strong woman in your life. Um, but at the end of the day, you're in your mind. How are you dealing with it? Okay, I guess um, actually uh, beating cancer is not a, a one-man show. It's actually a teamwork, you know. So we, with our doctors, the greatest doctors, with our nurses, mm-hmm. um, our family, that's what we need. We can beat this cancer. Right. Because when every time your family is, is losing hope, our doctors are there, Yeah. you know. When I lose hope, uh, my doctors are there, my nurses are there, you know. They're pushing me to, to, you know, continue to believe that I can do this. I can beat this cancer, you know. And I remember this other day. Yo, it was, <laughs> it was the scariest day of my life. Mm-hmm. So um, I was in a ward uh, after, after my amputation, right after my amputation. So this machine just kept on beeping, beep, beep, you know, and... I was still, you know, um, I was still sleeping. Mm-hmm. So I had that in my sleep. And I don't know, I just turned. And when I turned, I removed one of my, um, I don't know, the wires that they, you know. Yeah, they to, to monitor my, your heart. Yes. Yeah. Oh, the machine went like, Wee. Oh, no. I really <laughs> thought I was going to die. I woke oh, no. up so fast. Oh, it's so scary. <laughs> yeah, I woke up so fast and, you know, what came in my mind was that I can laugh about it today. 
Yeah. But that day, I really thought I was going to die. And it was, I think it was a breakthrough for myself that, you know, you need to wake up from relaxing. Now it's time to fight more, you know. And, and yeah, after my imputation, I really, you know, I was really in that moment where I'm like, okay, now I don't think about the amputation. I think about healing. Mm. I think that that's what, that's what um, all the amputees need to think about, you know, or, or cancer survivors or all cancer diagnosed kids need to think about you don't need to think about the present moment you need to think about how you're going to get to the future mm. you know it, mm. it it's more of um if i want to buy a car i can have the money today but then i want a range rover i can afford a golf how do i go to a range rover so you goals know? Working towards something, yes, right? So, the, so, so, so let's just talk about the amputation. Let's just talk about how far into your treatment were you when they said to you, "We're, we're going to have to amputate your leg." Okay, Ooh. okay. Uh, my first, my first, uh, I think my f- first period of my uh, of my treatment, my family took me away. Mm-hmm. They took me away. Um, they didn't like the fact that uh, I need to go through an amputation surgery. Yeah. You know? So um, I took like a year, and then when I came back, it was worse. So my cancer was on my knee, and when I came back, it was above my knee. So sure, it had spread, huh? Yes. So they told my mom that there's nothing they can do now. They need to amputate my leg, or if I live again, you know, I'm not going to survive. So that was the moment where I need to, you know, come with a decision mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. And I told my family that I ha- I really have to do this, you know. I really have to do it because without, without you know, cutting my leg, nothing's going to, you know, happen. I mean, just so, I mean, it's incredible, very powerful that it was... That it was your decision, Musa. So you talk about the next day having this <gasps> literal wake-up call with hearing the beep <laughs> sound, and then uh, making up your mind that you that you were going to not think about the fact that you had your leg amputated over and over again, but rather think about overcoming it and moving forward and what you were going to do with it. So yes. uh, when I introduced you, I introduced you as a professional dancer, and I said no one in the studio can see just how extraordinary you are, this beautiful young man. And I'm, you know, I only notice when you stood up that you, that you have this crutch and and you're a dancer and you have this incredible attitude and you're incredibly strong and I've watched videos of you dance and you are so talented so how did that develop <laughs> okay um i think it started from um playing soccer so after my amputation when i was going home visiting home I used to play soccer with my friends at home, you know, so it started uh, getting used to how to use my crutches and all that. Mm-hmm. And then, um, initially I had love for music. So, um, yeah, I, I actually received, uh, a dream from Rich for a Dream. They bought did you? me. Yes. yes. What did you want? What, what did they give you? <laughs> they actually bought me a sound system, a DJ sound system. Right. And they um they actually you know called black coffee to have lunch with me oh yes. that must have been amazing yeah oh, best moment was it oh, amazing <laughs> they do such great work really yeah. so okay so then you the music and then you thought maybe i can dance yeah because like i thought i was dancing 
more than the people I'm playing music for. So um, I thought like, okay, let me take a turn. Let me go to the other side of the table and dance. And then my friends taught me how to dance. You know, they they actually threw lines, boxes on the floor. And then like, okay, your left crutch, you lose it as your left leg, you know. And then you do this and that. And yeah, weeks went. And then after a few months, um, I, this was in 2010. Mm-hmm. So after a few months in 2010, I got gigs for FIFA World Cup. Did you? Yes. I Woo! Worked, yeah. I Amazing. Worked. I worked with the likes of Somizi uh, and other other artists. So um after they <laughs> so after they um I I had my I opened my own crew. So I started my own crew and then we, we, we continued until twenty twenty sixteen. Yeah, I did music videos for Drake. Did a lot of music videos for... What do you mean you did a music video for Drake? Like, what does that mean? You made a video and you sent it to him or you were in one of his videos? I was in one of his videos. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> wow, fantastic. Yes. That must have been exciting. <laughs> and then again, I shot a local movie. I was a leader in it. And then, um, yeah, I did a whole lot of stuff. And then to a point where, um, okay, last last year... I was um, scouted by the company that I'm working for now. Mm-hmm. It's actually a cocktail company. Cocktail meaning um, it's mixture of dances. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, it's an international company. Um, it's actually based in, in Newtown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it tours a lot. It's one of the best in... What's, in what are they called? It's Vuyani Dance Theatre. Vuyani Dance Theatre. Yes. Okay. It's actually um, one of the best in Africa. Jeez. They tour and all of that. And yeah, I let I learned um, their technique last year. From last year, I was doing my training. Um, this year, I'm still doing my training, but at uh, another level. And yeah. And loving it. You're loving it. I love it. And you d- you performed recently at a Reach for a Dream uh, event. You yes. you danced there. How was that? Yeah, it was, it was nice. It was beautiful. Aww. You know, I really felt it because I was with my people, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was With beautiful. your people. Yeah. Uh, being on the journey. Hey? Yes. On the journey. On the journey. So, Musa, I mean, we're going to press pause for a moment because I want to bring in you. You spoke about your extraordinary doctors and yeah. these incredible doctors. And then as you said that, wow, one just happened to appear. Um, so I want to <laughs> hear it um, from uh, um, Dr. Gita's um, point of view because uh, Gita Naidu is a clinic, the, the clinical head of the the Pediatric Oncology um, Unit at the Chris Harney Baraguan Academic Hospital. Um, and she took part in, um, obviously, Musa's treatment and many, many other um, um, young young children's treatment. So, Dr. Gita, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us today. I know you're busy, so <laughs> to be here is, is fabulous. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me and to be here with Mosa. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, Mosa, have I been calling you Musa all this? Have I mispronounced your name? I'm so sorry. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. Okay, Mosa. Um, I, I want to, Dr. Gita, ask you, I mean, you were, you've been listening, you've been nodding your head. Um, you and, and Mosa spoke about my people, this ward of, of, of young kids mm-hmm. who are faced with the challenge, you know, when we look at life and we go, well, what's normal and what's not normal, you know, for young children to get this kind of an illness, we would all say, but 
that's not normal. That's not right. Um, and then we have most in the studio who talks about um, making a future, creating these dreams, all of these dreams coming alive and how important your role has been um, in the treatment. So let's just talk about um, c- cancer with kids because I know that this, the, this cancer, this um, uh, osteogenic sarcoma, is a, it's a specific Childhood cancer, is it not? What actually is it? In the bone, uh, Mosa mentioned a bone? Yeah, it's a cancer of the bone, Mm -hmm. but of the growing bone. So it's often that we see them um, in the prepubertal stages. Mm -hmm. So Mosa was 10, which is a little bit early. We see them, I would say, around 12 years of age. So it's about the rapidly growing bone and the effect of the hormones on this. So fortunately, it's still a relatively rare tumor, but a a tumor with devastating sequelae. And... um, yeah, so I can I ask you something? It sounds like such a silly question, but I have to ask you because you talk about the growing bone and the hormones. Mm-hmm. So Mosa was 10 years old. He got kicked in the knee. Yeah. He carried on and it was only months later that he was diagnosed. Yeah. Did they, do you think they could have had something to do with it, that the knee was damaged and the rapid growing? I mean, no, no. no. So you, yes. Okay. Unfortunately, these tumors are sort of slow growing tumors. Okay. And because the child is growing at that stage, parents often refer to these pains as growing, growing pains. pains. And I'm always afraid of that label. So uh, you may feel these aches and pains. And I'm sure you've also heard parents of course. say that these are growing pains. I think I said pains. it to my son about six months ago. And what happens is mm. when you are playing sport, then there's a higher chance that you may be injured or you may fall. So a lot of children associate this with a sports injury yeah. or falling Mm. but it's actually got nothing to do with it it's just that the bone is now replaced by tumor and if you sustain an injury or a fall then the chances of some children will present with what we call a pathological fracture so meaning that if you and I fall and our bones are normal that's a a injury related fracture mm-hmm. but if you have an abnormal bone and you present with this it's a pathological fracture or sometimes without an injury you may present with fractures hmm. so so you talk about it being a very rare cancer happens in children does teenagers, it, teenagers prepubescent mm. how does it spread very quickly uh, yes, well, relatively, uh-huh. unlike some other cancers that we see that have a doubling time of 12 hours, this is not the wow. case, yes. Mm-hmm. But the, the thing about osteogenic sarcomas is that when these patients do present to us, obviously it's, it's often in a, one of the long bones, so it could be in your femur or in your bones of your legs, your tibia, or in the arm bones. More rarely we will see it in the jaw or the ribs or those areas. And um, But when they present to us, the most important question we want to ask, is it localized or has it spread beyond the local area? Mm-hmm. But unfortunately with osteogenic sarcoma, the presumption is that when they sp- come with to us with the tumor, that there's also al- already been spread. 
So and it's a, it's a difficult concept to explain because if you think that the tumor is in the bone and we've done a chest x-ray, we've done a CT scan of the chest and other parts of the body, we've looked at the other bones and we don't see it, then parents will ask, well, then if we've done the amputation, why do we need more chemotherapy? Mm-hmm. But the presumption is that there are cancer cells in the body. I see. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And in the old days when... Um, the Therapy on offer was surgery. Often these children then relapsed at a distant site. So the surgery is just simply not enough. Remove no, it with this it's with not. this cancer. The removal yeah. is not enough. You have but to go. But more interestingly, if I may go into Mosa's story, is that Mosa came to us, and he was about 10 years old at the time and we explained to the mum that he had the tumour in the left femur, the left thigh bone. Mm -hmm. And um, what we do is what we give chemotherapy, what we call neoadjuvant chemotherapy. And that is to mop up cancer cells that may be in the rest of the body. Mm -hmm. And then in a certain time period depending on the protocol, we offer amputation. Okay, so the chemo first, then the amputation. Yes. And uh, for many, many parents, it's unbelievable. They cannot understand why you want to do the amputation. And I believe I would also react in the same way, never mind that I'm a pediatric oncologist mm. for many years now. Mm. And it's a the tough pa- one. It's yes, so tough. the parents actually abandoned treatment. Mm. And we tried many times to phone them, to call them, to get them back to the hospital, but there was such a fear. And when Mosa came back, it was unbelievable. But had he finished the chemotherapy? No, he didn't. No, okay. no, he didn't. Okay. And he came back, and I promise you, the tumor was basically the size, like a huge, huge, huge watermelon on the entire left thigh. Sure. And at that time, the decision was that... You must have, be, you must have all got oh, such a fright when you saw absolute, him. But we've mm. seen so many patients like mm-hmm. this before. And the, the feeling then was that the amputation will be palliative, and we will we will treat him in a palliative manner, and we we did a metastatic. Palliative. Work. Just explain that. Just we, we. I tell you what. Let's take a break, and I, I just want to talk about what you mean by the palliative. So you're not looking at the curative. You're looking, and let's look at the difference of that. Quick break. We'll be right back. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Oh, this is the DL Link show where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. Um, in the studio, our warrior, um, our osteogenic sarcoma cancer warrior is Mosa Mota, uh, Motha. He's 23 years old, been sharing his story, um, and his doctor is in the studio with us. We're really delighted that she's taken time out to, uh, uh spend a, a bit of, a bit of time with us. Dr. Gita Naidu, um, who's head of the pediatric oncology at the Chris Harney Baragwanath Academic Hospital. Um, Dr. Gita, just before the break, you spoke about uh, Mosa suspending treatment. His parents took him away because of the fear of everything and that he returned with this enormous, enormous, huge tumor. How long after was that? How, how? A year. A year. It was a year later. Mm-hmm. And you spoke about, well, it's just going to be palliative treatment. Yes. What is the difference yeah. here? Because for a lot of our patients who come the first time around, the chances of curing a huge tumor with that has spread beyond the local site is um, we have a low chance of survival. Mm -hmm. And here was Mosa who had 
I think he had eight weeks of chemotherapy and then defaulted for a year and the tumor had come in absolutely huge. Mm -hmm. And he was really struggling. It was a huge tumor. It was in a terrible state. He was in a lot of pain just for this little child to look at this tumor was an unbearable mm -hmm. thing and even for us doctors. So we decided, well, there's nothing we can do for Mosa. So the first thing that we will do is we will amputate. And because he was in such a terrible state, the parents and Mosa himself decided, well, this is what we will have to do. Mm. And once we had done that, we thought, well, let's just see if this tumor has spread into the lungs because that's where it does spread into. And um, quite remarkably, I remember looking at his CT scans and saying, you know, there's nothing in the lungs. Sure. And I couldn't believe it. But then we thought, well, maybe there's small disease that we actually can't see. We call it microscopic disease. Mm -hmm. So we embarked on chemo. But I had a long chat with Mosa's mother, and I said to him, her, that we will try chemo, but our chances of survival are extremely slim. And... Um, Somehow we continued, and it's quite... How long was the, the treatment the, the second time around? About 30 weeks. 30 weeks? 30 weeks. Treatment, what, what, how often? Extreme, um, sometimes weekly, sometimes every second week, but wow. really, okay. really intensive chemotherapy. Mm. Many, many grams of chemotherapeutic agents that adult patients will not tolerate. Really? And he had Terrible many side effects. Many and toxicities and from mm. the chemotherapy, but somehow, somehow we, and we were, we were ne never certain. Would we, would be, was he well because we were giving him the chemotherapy and what will happen when we stopped the chemotherapy? Right. And here we are. How uh, many years 13 later? 13 years later. <laughs> he's a survivor. We are extremely He's a thriver. Oh, he is a thriver. He's a fighter. <laughs> but also, uh, 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 Inexplicable in a way. Oh. Why did the why did the tumor not spread to the lungs? Because mm. you said when it spreads, it's yes. too terrible. Yes. When this cancer spreads, so he's our. Um, oh, we often use Mosa as an example to parents mm, of what can happen. <laughs> yes. And listening to him talk about the role that you played, the other doctors being in the ward with his people, you know, mm. youngsters, and um, and just listening to his mindset. You yeah. know, we talk. He's got a very very strong mind. This yeah. is a young man who puts his mind to something. So that must be um, something for you, all yeah. these different kids. And and people talk about, you know, when I have interacted with young children who have cancer and just the resilience and that kids get on with it. And But for you, what, yeah. what's the that – must, it must be so difficult. Well, we have the largest pediatric oncology unit in South Africa and perhaps the second largest in sub, well, the largest in sub-Saharan Africa. Mm -hmm. So we see a, a large number of cancer patients. We have a very wide referral area, and it is a difficult job. And many people will ask you, why are you doing this job? Mm. Why do you work at Barra? Mm. I mean, we could go across <laughs> to the private sector. Sure. But, um, and the answer is? <laughs> I love Barra, and okay. I love my patients. Uh -huh. And I think when you're a young student, Student, the emphasis is on keeping patients alive, and that's what we try to do. But also we know all over the world that there are some cancers that you cannot cure. It, and I think it depends on many factors. The stage in which you present manifest, 
the biology, the specific biological factors of a particular malignancy. And there are those who will not survive. But those children are also important to us, that during their period of not surviving until the end, that we are there for them too. Mm. That And it's been a mindset since I became an oncologist because the emphasis on my training previously is only for survival. So I think that's also important to us. But if you come to Barra, Barra is a absolutely wonderful environment. Unfortunately, the press gives us a very negative Im- image. Mm-hmm. But when you come to Barra, it is a place of hope. Mm-hmm. And it's it's almost paradoxical to say that the children's cancer ward is a place of hope. Yeah, I've heard it's an amazing ward. But it I is. Have. It is an absolutely amazing ward. Mm-hmm. As I left today, there was a, um, another organization that had brought lunch for the kids for Easter. Mm-hmm. And um, all of them came in smiling and they said to us, you know, whenever we come here, then we're having a really good week because we just feel so uplifted by the the children, by my nursing staff, by the cleaners, by the porters. And it is, uh, it's a wonderful environment to be in. And for me, that's what keeps me going. Mm. And it makes me realize um, that actually the little things in life are not important. Mm. I was going to say to yes. you, so, so how, how, how do you see life when yes, you deal with it, this every day? It, gives me a clear focus of what I want to do with my life mm. and what my, for my children what's important. Right. And um, yeah. Barra is a place of hope, especially our children's cancer oh, ward. Oh, Dr. Gita, I love that. And <laughs> as I said, I've heard only the best the best things about yeah. your ward. Um, for you to walk away um, and you're a mom and you see your children, what do you do with Is there ever fear that you bring with you? A lot of fear. And, and how do you deal with that as a, as a doctor and yeah. then as a mom? It's difficult because the first thing you do when a new child comes in, you look at the date of birth. And if it's younger than your child, then you think, oh, well, my child's past this age. Mm. He's not going to get this cancer. Mm. And we know that that's not true. But, um, yeah, my sons know my job Mm. and they come often with me to the hospital to play with the kids, to read books to the kids. Wonderful. To just be there with them. Wonderful. So, yeah. To be a mom, you have such empathy, obviously, for parents. You feel it. Um, and we're sitting here, we're talking about this rare cancer, um, you know, just as you were talking about growing pains. I mean, my son, soccer last year, kept saying, my knees are sore, my knees are sore. I'm, I'm sitting here having heart failure as you're telling <laughs> me that. And, you know, we can be so neurotic and we don't want to be neurotic. You know, what do you say to parents? You're dealing with children who, mm. who have the greatest fear your child is diagnosed with cancer but what do you say to parents about living you know obviously taking notice but but also being able to live in a very mm. natural kind of unafraid way with 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 children what do you say well, it goes back to the point that Mosa made earlier, that he was in the hospital for six months and no one diagnosed the cancer. And I think it's difficult because as a parent, what do you take seriously and what don't you take seriously? As a primary care worker, be you a nurse or a GP in some rural practice, how do you differentiate? Right. So what we have done at Krasani Baragwanath Academic Hospital, we have written up what we think are the warning signs of cancer. 
And uh, they have been approved now by the World Health Organization, mm-hmm. and they are being used in many, many parts of the world, in Malaysia, in South America, in other Eastern countries, and we ourselves. And we've looked at our data, and um, they're very easy warning signs. We refer to them as the Sensilwans one warning signs of childhood cancer. The S stands for to seek help early. Mm-hmm. The I stands for eye changes. Maybe you have a squint or a change in the eye. The L stands for lumps and bumps that are not going away. Mm -hmm. Often you may have some small lumps in your neck or under your arm. But if you go to your doctor and he gives you an antibiotic, they should resolve. Mm -hmm. But it's those that are not resolving and getting bigger. The U stands for any unexplained fever. The same thing, you've been to your doctor, but the fever doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. The A stands for aching bones. Right. Like uh, what Mosa had, he mm-hmm. said for a long time he had the pain. And the N is for the neurological signs. So any change, a child who started to crawl who doesn't crawl, a child who started to walk that doesn't walk, mm-hmm. uh, your head, the baby's head is growing bigger, or a child now has a limp. So those are the warning signs. And uh, we uh, Malaysia has reported an un- 100% increase in the number of cancer patients with those warning signs. We have also a huge increase in the number. So I think it's about the awareness. Mm. And obviously early detection. Early detection. Better prognosis. That's where the first one right. is S. Seek yes, help seek early. Help, seek help mm. early. Get, uh, thank you, Dr. Gita, for that. That's that's amazing. Um, I'm sure on the website, the Baragorn website, it'll be there. Mm. Let's take a break, um, and we'll continue with this after the break. Hi, FM, your station of choice since 2008. And... Uh, Gee, we've been having such an interesting discussion on the show just before Pesach and just before Easter and just before you packing up and going away if you are going away and talking about being in the moment and what are you going to be doing on the weekend. So um, Mosa Motha, who uh, is our cancer warrior, um, and so, so inspiring. Um, just his outlook, a huge setback having this amputation at such a young age, and here he is, a professional dancer, um, being headhunted. Um, dancing, celebrating life in Drake's video. I mean, when I tell my sons you were in Drake's video, they won't believe it. Uh, <laughs> um, just incredible. And then, of course, having uh, Mosa's doctor in the studio, who's um, Dr. Gita Naidu, the head of the pediatric oncology at Chris Harney Baraguan Academic Hospital. I'd like to just thank you both so much for coming into the studio. Dr. Gita, thank you for that. Thank you for the explanation. Um, it's something that we really, really do fear. It's so difficult to listen to. So thank you. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for inviting Lovely me. Lovely having you on the show. the wonderful Mosa. M- Mosa, yeah. thank you for coming in. So thank hugely you. inspiring you are. You're amazing. Um, and just continue to spread your word and, as you say, be with your people and beyond. Be a, a huge inspiration because that's what you are. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been wonderful having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. And, and we're so lucky because we have Michelle Goodman in the studio. This is the DL Link, Mish. And and um, have you been very busy, pacer dicking and shopping and cooking? And how are you? And why are <laughs> sure, you looking so sure. cool? Everybody's been busy, Nick. <laughs> but I have to say that to have taken this hour for this remarkable show Isn't has it been amazing? an absolute mm. privilege, mm. an absolute privilege yeah. to be sitting here with Dr. Nadu, who is so informative. But more than that, Doctor, for the past hour I have been watching how you have Looked at most. I know. With the most loving, caring, (laughs) 
a pride and, and it's just been really, really a privilege mm. more than actually hearing your, in, your informative perspective, just mm. watching you as a personality, as a human being, which is exquisite. Change. And then, of course, watching Moza, who is this gorgeous, charismatic, <laughs> charming young man, um, and, and just hearing all about him has been too wonderful. And in fact, Moza, of hearing your miracle. Um, but first, I just want to give you a bracelet from the Dear Link, which says hope or love or faith. And it's got a Dear Link sig um, logo. And to it's you, Doctor, and just thank you for coming on the show. No, and to everybody out there, just seeing, just seeing Moza here, who is clearly a miracle, um, we do need to know that miracles occur. Uh -huh. And um, Pesach being a time of miracles, being a time of liberation, I just wish that everybody should experience miracles in those people who need healing and refua and also just be able to come challenges in every single way that any way might, you know, a person might be faced with a challenge. And, of course, we shouldn't have them at the outset. Mm -hmm. But if we do, please, God, they should be small and we should overcome them easily. And, Moza, you've taught us the most amazing, beautiful lessons. And, of course, just watching Doctor. Thank you so much. So well said, And to you, Nikki. So well said. So good well and said. And happy pace. Oh, thank you, Mish. And as you say, I mean, it's, 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 it is. It's all about miracles. And, and when we hear about Moza and overcoming that, amazing. All comes together, doesn't it? All comes together. Four minutes away from one o'clock. At the beginning, I said I was giving away a ticket to my workshop called the Mind Revolution Workshop. Um, we're going to be looking at mindfulness. We're going to be looking at the mind thoughts because the only thing that gets in the way of seeing the miracles are the thoughts that you're having. You know, can you find the hope and the joy and the peace regardless of what your circumstances are. And you absolutely can. Undoubtedly you can. And it's really looking at transforming your mental habits. So if you would like to come along, the first person to SMS me, just write Mind Revolution um, on 34519. The first person to SMS me will get a free ticket valued at 480 Rand. So SMS me quickly if you'd like to come to this uh, workshop happening on the 4th of May from 9 o'clock until 12 o'clock at the Business Exchange in Rosebank. So SMS me Three four five one nine. Well, it's time for me to say goodbye. Extraordinary guest. Thank you, Mish, for putting it so beautifully. And thank you for listening. Um, it's always a privilege to be in your company. Um, if you have Easter coming up, have a wonderful Easter. And Pesach may it be a meaningful one. For me, Nikki Seberini, until next week, do take care. Goodbye.